You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. It's Friday! That makes me happy because, well, it's Friday, and, uh... That means Saturday and Sunday, I get to do whatever I want. I can hang with the family. Um, I can watch my kids while my wife is at something called a mommy market. So I think I told you in the previous podcast that we're going to go check out some feigning goats if the weather cooperates. Um, So we're going to hang at the farm with uh, my mom and stepdad. My dad's going to take the kids to uh, go see some feigning goats and uh we're just gonna chillax you know hang out have a good time i might be doing uh, a little bit of photography this weekend i'm really not sure i might go check a trail camera i might take down a tree stand um i haven't got my mineral yet uh it's i probably won't get that out until i go uh, turkey hunting in mid-april kind of make a, a trip out of that uh, kind of a multitasking trip, so to speak. But uh, yeah, let's see. Today and this entire week, I've kind of been just messing around on uh, Google Maps. Uh, not necessarily Google Maps, but um, you know, just a variety of different uh, digital maps that there are online. Looking at uh, um, some of the places I will be hunting, like out in Colorado, and also the uh, some of the other properties that I currently hunt, you know, just, it's always good to just look at the, you know, look at the terrain, you know, just always think about access routes, always think about, um, where you can, you know, how you can get into a tree stand better. You know, it's, it's, I think it's beneficial to be super critical of everything that you do as, you know, as a, a bow hunter, especially, you know, as a hunter, but especially a bow hunter, especially access routes, stand locations, wind direction, all that stuff. And if you think about it all the time, when it's time to make that decision in the field, um, come the hunting season, it's going to be like a, an automatic, pi- you know, autopilot. It's going to be boom. Okay. Well, I know it's a northwest wind. I know I have these stands available or this area available, whether you have to do a running gun or not. And uh, that way you don't have to put too much time thinking about uh, the the actual, you know, the tree stand location for that particular hunt. Now, does what I'm talking about right now have to do in any way, shape, or form about what this podcast is about? Absolutely not. But that's me going on a rant to start this thing off. And maybe it's because I'm super pumped that it's Friday or I've had two cherry Cokes now and I got some caffeine running through my system. But today we're going to be talking with a gentleman from Oklahoma. His name is Grant Harland. And uh, Grant, just like me, is preparing for a Western hunting trip. And this is his first Western hunting trip. And this you know, majority of the podcast is about his Western uh, preparation, uh, whether that's the physical conditioning, the gear that he has to use, or the planning from you know the map standpoint. 
so we get into a variety of different topics surrounding that one big topic of you know getting prepared for a western hunt and that's what we talk about today so uh, hopefully you guys enjoy that Uh, before we get into the podcast we're going to hear from john livingston from deer lab and just in a very brief uh or like boiling it down to its simplest form what deer lab is all about that's a great question dan uh deer lab is a web-based service that helps you manage and analyze your trail camera photos we work with any trail camera it doesn't matter what kind of trail camera you have Um, you upload your photos to our service as long as it has a timestamp, we can work with it and so we basically go in and pull weather data from your local weather station and give you additional information that trail cameras can't capture. We also aggregate all of the data together. So you know when and where this particular buck is moving, uh, how he's moving by wind direction and wind speed. Uh, There's a lot of different reports that we can provide, but we basically are trying to simplify the process. Instead of having to manually understand what he's doing, we automate a lot of that information. And there you have it, guys. The best possible thing to do to learn more about Deer Lab is to go to their website. A ton of information on there. And if you're going to go visit the website, visit DeerLab.com slash Nine Fingers. And by going to that specific URL, um, you have the ability to sign up for a free 30-day trial period. Now, I know what a lot of your you guys are thinking. Um, right now... For me, I'm flipping through a lot of trail camera pictures from the year. I'm organizing them, blah, 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 blah. This is a good time to do that. And uh, look at that. Look at the data that Deer Lab provides. Um, that's what I'm doing right now, sorting through a lot of uh, trail camera pictures that I haven't uploaded throughout the year. Um, so take advantage of that free 30-day trial period. Now, let's get into today's Western Preparation podcast with Grant Harland. Mr. Grant Harland, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Dan? I can't complain, man. Um, the sun is shining, and for some reason, it's quiet in my house, so I feel like I should almost be, wor- be worried. Yeah, you, pro- you probably should be worried. They're probably uh, causing, causing a ruckus <laughs> in, your, in your upstairs somewhere. That's right. That's right. But um, today, uh, we're just going to kind of talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but before we get into to all that, why don't you let everybody know where you're from and what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um, and for a living, I work for um, an online retailer. Uh, we basically source products from overseas and sell them on the Internet under a, a big variety of, of brands. Um, it's a lot of like bedding type products and white label type products. Um, that's basically what I do work with, with people overseas. It's, uh, it's nice. pretty nice. Nice. I know that, uh, um, I, I have to do a little bit of that in my job as well. Uh, is there ever a, a language barrier when you're speaking? Uh, cause most of the time you're in contact with someone who knows English. Is there ever a time where, um, you are, you start getting frustrated and you don't even know how to communicate with them because their English is so bad. You know, I spend a lot of time on email, more, more on email than on phone. Uh, but there's definitely, you know, some barriers there and, you know, you find yourself kind of inching your way in when you first get to get to know someone to figuring out how much they understand English. And, right. um, you know, definitely around the holidays, it gets kind of interesting. Um, the different things that they, they might say to you that to us sound like, very weird culturally, like they might say like, you know, like have like a, a blessed weekend with your family and kind of go on about your family. And you're just yeah. like, that's weird. I don't even, I don't even know this person. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, for the most part, they're pretty much everyone I, I speak with is all really smart and intelligent. And they're just trying to understand you as much as you're trying to communicate with them, what you're, what you're trying to say. So they're that's so friendly. Right. It's hard. It's hard to really get too frustrated. I love it. Um, I catch people, who, who don't communicate with people from uh, that speak other languages. And I found this funny. One time uh, we were at a gas station and there was a guy who was working the cash register and he was 
you know, he was not from America, obviously he was, uh, uh, an immigrant or whatever. And he didn't speak very good English. And my mom asked him a question and, and he answered, but my mom didn't understand. So her thought process was, well, I might as well just talk louder so he hears me better, which for some reason in her head made it seem like he's gonna he's going to understand loud English better than or or that's gonna make him talk better. So I, I found that hilarious. That is hilarious. So all right. Today we're going to be well first before we even get into what we're gonna be talking about, how was your two thousand and sixteen season? Oh, you know, it, it ended up being a really good season, but it was it was a major roller coaster. The biggest roller coaster of a season I've ever I've ever been on um, in terms of, of whitetail. Um, earlier in early, in early November, I went to Northern Illinois with my my father and uncle, and we hunted on a family friend's property. And then we didn't really have too much success, but it's it's beautiful country up there. And it was really enjoyable hunting. It's very different from from where I'm at in Oklahoma in terms of scenery and um, just kind of the attitude amongst the amongst the hunters there was very relaxed um, you know in small farming communities it's not it seems like they don't really know what they have in terms of um, you know the whitetails at times they just they right. think it's a stupid a stupid deer and you know they want you to shoot as many as you can and um, it's, it's a lot different than kind of how I normally think of it but it was really enjoyable um, and I came back to Oklahoma and uh, pretty much right off the bat there, I think it was November 7th, I had a, a really nice buck come into a, a stand I was sitting in, and uh, he kind of got spooked by some does, and I he ended up stopping it at 20 yards, and uh, no excuses, but I, I made a, a pretty poor shot and shot him in the in the shoulder, and uh, I noticed right off the bat that I didn't get very good penetration. And so I, I waited a while, and I, I went, and I looked for my arrow, and I never found it. Um, so I started looking for blood, and once I found some, I, I kind of felt like the blood looked pretty good. Uh, I thought it was lung blood at first, and as I followed that blood trail, um, I start to think le- think less and less that it's lung blood, and more and more that it's it's muscle blood. Um, and given that that I'd hit him in the shoulder, I thought there was you know pretty good likelihood that's what I was seeing. And so after about following him from for about a hundred yards, I I ended up backing out, and uh, when I went back. Um, and got back on that blood trail the next day. Um, it it just dissipated really really quickly, and I never ended up uh, finding the deer. And I, I I'm not sure whether to be encouraged or not about this, but um, I followed him up and down just some really nasty ravines and steep inclines, um, which makes me hopeful that maybe maybe he made it to the next season. But right. uh, you know it, it's impossible to know unless you say get him on trail camera or something, which I, I didn't after that point. So I was I was pretty uh, I was pretty demoralized. Um, you know, you work all season for that one opportunity, and then you get it, and you and you don't make it happen. And then alongside that, you know, the fact that didn't cleanly harvest the animal, and uh, you know, it, it just feeling all sorts of emotions. And so I, I went back out, and I this was about a week later, and uh, I was hoping just to shoot a doe and and build some confidence a little bit and get some venison in the freezer. And I ended up going to the same spot actually, which is is not common for me. Usually I hunt a spot once or twice a year and usually not back to back. And, uh, before, before the sun came up, I had two bucks just trot by my stand. I could, I could tell they were bucks they went right under my stand. Couldn't really see them. I wasn't shooting light anyway. And I started to kind of get curious. And in, in Oklahoma, you can shoot, uh, you can shoot two bucks. So yeah. even though I'd shot one and not recovered it, I was still feeling like, you know, I have at least, at least one buck tag left in my pocket. And, um, the sun comes up and I just have a hoss of a deer, um, come 20 yards from my stand and stops right in an opening and I, I get ready to shoot. I'm right there in the right spot. I'm off of his shoulder. You know, I'm going to kind of shoot him in the middle a little bit more this time, learn my lesson. I let the arrow fly and unbeknownst to me, there must've been a, a twig or a vine or something between me and the deer because about halfway between me and the deer, I see my arrow just kind of start to ricochet and it's, it's wobbling towards the deer and I'm just, you know, everything slows down. And I, I think that I clean missed the deer. It runs off. It kind of stops at like 80 yards and looks back and um, then just drops off like nothing happened. And so I went ahead and got out of the stand just to make sure I had a clean arrow in case I had another deer come by. I didn't want to potentially, you know, 
shoot too many deer and um, I find my arrow and it's got um, some what looks like a little bit of blood and uh, white belly hair on it and so I felt like it wasn't a fatal wound I got back in the stand and, and later on uh, went and attempted to track the deer um, and found just a couple drops of blood not really anything significant um, to lead me to believe that he had been injured and given the, the white belly hair and the very very small amount of blood I, I figured I just grazed him so I was, you know, I'm even more upset at this point because I've I've botched two opportunities. I've wounded two deer, um, and I went ahead and just took some time off and practiced my shooting. And um, as I did that for about two weeks, we inched towards Oklahoma's rifle season, which I uh, you're allowed to bow hunt in, and I, I normally bow hunt in it. But given the situation that I was in and the you know my confidence was down, I decided that I was going to. Uh, you know, to pull out the confidence uh, stick, pull out the pull out the rifle. I do own a own a rifle, and uh, went to a stand where I thought I would have a good opportunity at doe. Um, you know, knowing I still I still potentially could shoot a buck. I didn't feel as though I had had necessarily killed either one, and I'd get, given them uh, both a good opportunity to find them. And I have the same buck that went under my underneath my stand come out in front of me, um, and he walks to forty yards, and I shot him with a rifle at forty yards. Oh, wow. Uh, Is it, was this one of the bucks that you had previously hit? Yes. It was the, yes. it was the second, it was the second buck. Oh, um, nice. And, uh, so I, I, you know, felt really whole about that, um, that I was able to, to still harvest one of the deer. Um, you know, I, I still, you know, think about both shot opportunities where I, I, in, I injured the deer with a bow and, um, you know, it's, it's, not something I'll get over, but uh, I do feel satisfied that I was able to take the deer and it was a really beautiful deer, a deer of a lifetime kind of deer. Um, so it is a season ended on a high note. I got some venison. I got the, one of the bucks that I shot at previous in the year. Um, so it was nice. really great. What's the, what's deer like in Oklahoma? What's the quality? Cause I've, I had a guy who lived in Oklahoma uh, send me some pictures of some deer on some property, some trail camera pictures of some deer that uh, um, he was hunting. And he had uh, one in the 200 inchers and, and like another one in the high 160s, I think. And uh, some pretty impressive, big, mature deer. Is, is that normal for the state or is uh, that kind of an exception? Well, uh, we're between Kansas and Texas. Yeah. So uh, you can imagine that there's potentially some good deer in the state between Kansas and Texas. Right. Um, it's there's some things the state has going for. We have really liberal um, um, tags. I mean, I can shoot six deer, two bucks, and four does, all with a bow. Um, or you could shoot, you know, one with a bow and one with a with a gun on the buck side. Um, and even with those liberal limits, people choose to hold off on the on the younger deer. Uh, I think the average buckshot in Oklahoma is a three and a half year old. So, oh, really? Yeah. So it's, and we are constantly in the top five for states that shoot, uh, as far as percentage of shade, uh, states that shoot a three and a half year old and older bucks. If you look oh, at like awesome. QD, QDMA's uh, Y tail report, which is something I like to use as like kind of a, a bellwether. Um, and so we have really good bucks. Um, I, 200 is, you know, rare anywhere. Um, Right. The buck that I, that I shot that uh, this year with a with a gun scored 183. Holy cow! Um, so he's a really beautiful buck. Uh, I I didn't have any history with the deer um, other than those two sightings, so I don't I don't know how old he was. Um, you know, most I've, I've shot two other bucks, both of which I believed were five and a half, and um, those bucks one weighed 240 and one weighed 210. Okay, um, this that's that's uh, on the hoof, not not gutted. Um, right. this buck that I shot this year weighed 205. Um, okay. and he was a, a lot later in the year than the other one. So I, I tend to think he was a four and a half or five, five and a half year old deer, but I have no way of knowing. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, pretty impressive. Um, but you're you guessed in between four and five. Uh, as far as I can tell, I mean, it, it looked like a mature deer. Um, but you know, each one is a, is a little unique. Um, so well, I tell you what, sounds like, uh, you know, forget Iowa, forget coming to Iowa. And hunt. <laughs> Everybody needs to go to Oklahoma and hunt. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, one, one thing that's kind of unique about here, you know, I've done some hunting in Northern Illinois and it's, what's really different is it's, 
it's so thick here. And uh, when you get into the woods, seeing more than 60 yards or so is, is about impossible, at least anywhere that I, that I am able to hunt. Um, so it, it leaves you with a lot of those questions on your mind about what walked by 80 yards, 80 yards away that I couldn't see. And I could only hear, um, you know, it, it, it happens pretty frequently, but every place has its challenges. It's, it's challenging here, but, um, we have a really good, um, population of bucks and, you know, I think you can definitely shoot a, a 140 or 150 here if you're, if you're patient. Right. So what are other than Oklahoma, let's see, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma city, what are some of the other big city centers, uh, in Oklahoma? That's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Um, Oklahoma's Oklahoma City's population is uh, around seven hundred thousand. I don't know how many uh, Tulsa Tulsa is, but uh, it's it's a good sized city as well. Um, there's another city called Lawton, which is okay size, but it's it's not that big of a state. Um, the population isn't isn't huge. Right. So other other than those cities, those three, there it's basically just uh, um, you know what is it? A lot of farming a lot of ag what uh, cuz every every hunting show i've ever seen in oklahoma it's uh it's almost like sandy red dirt yeah sandy red dirt everywhere um, there's a lot of of cattle ranches um gotcha. the property that i hunt on has uh, cattle on part of it um which is a, a challenge as, as i think you know yeah. um and um yeah i mean there's there's some there's some um agriculture uh there's, there's a lot of wheat uh, but most of the uh, agriculture is done for for hay so all right gotcha well we're going to change subjects here and um you you reached out to me a while back uh after i mentioned i was going to be going to colorado uh this upcoming year mm-hmm. for an elk hunt and uh we we kind of you know, through conversation, started talking a little bit about training uh, and not necessarily, or, you know, preparing for the hunt, not only, you know, for gear and, you know, what you need to have, but also a little bit of, uh, you know, some physical conditioning that, that needs to, that what I feel needs to happen if um, flatlanders like you and me are going to go to, um, you know, go someplace with some bigger elevation. And what I'll, what I'll say is when I was it like two years ago, I went to Idaho and, uh, I trained my butt off and I did a lot of squats. Um, I did a lot of like leg press. I did, um, uh, walking, uh, uphill, uh, on a treadmill, severe incline. And, um, I even did like once, once a week, maybe once every two weeks, I did a weighted pack walk or in a state park that was like four miles. Well, when I get out there, that that elevation just hits you like a ton of bricks. And you start walking and like the first five minutes, I'm like, oh man, I feel really good. Uh, I Then I get to the base of my first incline and two minutes into this, I'm huffing and puffing and, and like trying to catch my breath and, um, and my muscles necessarily weren't burning like they had on previous trips, like to go hiking out in the mountains, but I couldn't, my heart rate was pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding. So I, you know, this year I'm trying to think, think of alternative methods and, uh, you know, kind of think about what I need to do more of um, before I go to this Colorado uh, elk hunt, which is going to be in some steep country itself. But when uh, our conversation, you said you you were kind of doing the same thing, and I consider myself new to mountain hunting or elk hunting, and you're getting ready to go on your first elk hunt as well, correct? Correct. All right. So, and that's, that's kind of what I want to talk about today is first off, um, when you figured out you were going to be in the mountains and, uh, you, you know, you knew that physical conditioning was 
going to play a role. What were, what was going through your head as far as, you know, what you need to do to get ready physically? And then what did you do to do? Like, did you do any research or anything like that? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I definitely knew that I wanted to get in, in better shape. Um, I, I've done some, you know, some hiking trips, like you said, um, to like New Mexico and Colorado and spent a, a couple of days in the mountains. And uh, so I, I know what you're talking about with the, with the altitude and it's, I mean, there's, I, I don't know a way to, to train for the altitude. Um, I, a lot of people do um, a lot of running and cardio um, to get themselves there. Um, and even when I've been in my best shape and then been in the altitude, it's just, it, right. it really knocks you down a peg. Um, I, I did do some, tried to start doing some research. There's, there's a couple, um, there's a podcast that I listen to and they talk about um, elk hunting quite a bit. Um, and there's just so many schools of thought on, on ways you can go as far as fitness, I mean, there's guys that do CrossFit. Um, there's, you know, all the people that you see on social media that I'm, I'm a little confused, uh, you know, when I, when I look at their pages, whether it's, it's for hunting or if it's for popularity or, or what the exact <laughs> reason. Um, but I mean, kudos to them. It's pretty inspirational. I see them looking, looking ripped. It kind of makes me want to get in right. the gym. Um, so I, I guess it's, there's a silver lining. Um, you know, there's, there's guys that do, um, uh, hiking with a backpack like you were talking about and that that's what I kind of gravitate towards is is having a, a loaded pack and, and hiking and doing something a little less high impact um, yeah. and less ho- hopefully less chance uh, of, of a potential injury um, like right. uh, getting into CrossFit just it seems like I could train all the year and then I could get injured and and not be able to go um, right. so that would that would be trouble um, there's no there's no mountains here so it's it's hard to really go vertical. You could go to the gym and do the the stair climber, um, but you know, being indoors all that time is is not all that enjoyable. And I want to do something convenient. So it, it happens that I work in a building that is uh, 25 floors high, and so I I decided that I wanted to do something with a backpack and something with going vertical. And those those two things have kind of come together to be my plan. Um, so you know, wearing a backpack climbing 25 flights as many times as I can, as many times a week as I can. It's kind of been my, my plan thus far. And I'm, I, you know, I'm a complete novice. I'm sure I'm, I'm totally missing some, some key elements to, uh, you know, getting ready for the mountains, but, um, yeah, I'm not, not positive exactly. Right. Right. And that's the, and I think that's where for me, my goal is to, replicate as much as possible what you're going to be doing while you're out there, right? So you're going to be walking steep inclines. You're going to be, um, you know, on your feet all day long. And it's hard to, for me, it's very hard to train eight hours a day. Like I can't go on an eight hour hike, right? Or even a four hour hike um, just because, you know, I'm a, I got a job and I got a family and I got a podcast. So all these things, I have to work all those things in. So um, one thing I feel like, like for me, what I want to do in the upcoming months is get, you know, once the weather starts getting a little bit better is just to spend as much time with a weighted pack on my back as possible, whether that's walking around town or going to a state park and hiking on trails or going out to the country and finding the steepest hill that you can can walk and just doing it over and over and over because that's one thing I felt like I didn't accomplish the last time I went out and was getting getting used to that incline I don't think I did a good enough job and spent enough time with an actual pack on my back uh, to prepare for for that portion of it but you have kind of a, a man-made elevation with those with uh, the 25 stories so talk to us a little bit about your thought process about these stairs and what you're like are, are you going to just put on 100 pounds and start walking up every day or did, did did you have it staggered or do you have a plan so to speak uh well i work on the on the 15th flight and so uh, in January, late January, I started just uh, every day instead of taking the elevator, walking up 15 flights of stairs to my to my desk, um, which makes for um, some sweaty mornings and afternoons after lunch. Um, so I kind of have deodorant. I have deodorant everywhere. It's in my truck. It's in my desk. You know, I carry some around. I'm always smelling good, but I'm generally 
getting a little sweaty on the way to work. Um, right. And, you know, I look probably look a little funny wearing a, a collared shirt and, and flacks and um, hiking up 15 flights of stairs. Um, but you know, it's kind of what you got to do. And uh, I got to the point like within two or three weeks where that became a lot easier. And I just noticed that I wasn't all that tired when I got to the top and I needed to do something different. And I planned on starting to add a weighted backpack to the, to the equation. Um, but when I put 30 pounds in my, in my bag and started doing that, uh, by the time I got to work, I was just a mess. So I <laughs> had, um, had to bring a second shirt with you. Pretty much, pretty much. And uh, I just decided that, you know, I can just bring clothes with me and do it after work. Um, so I, what I've been doing um, now and what I'm hoping to build on and, and build on the weight is is doing 50, 50 uh, levels uh, or it's, it's actually there's there's two flights of stairs in every level. So it's, it's around 300 feet total um, okay. up the stairs and down the stairs. And I take the stairs up with a 30 pound pack. And then I take the elevator down because the, from everything that I've read that, you know, what's hardest on your knees is going down. Um, right. and while I want to build those muscles, I'm not sure I want to, you know, break down my knees, um, to do that, you know, with weight when there's not an elk in the pack. Um, right, so sure. I'm working, I'm working towards a 50 and 65 pound pack. And that's kind of the, that's my, my plan so far. The one kind of what I see as a major downfall is, you know, going upstairs and going up the side of a mountain are, are way different. Um, yeah. You know, your your ankles don't need to have that much strength to go upstairs flat on every every time you put your foot down. Um, so, um, like for example, when I did some shed hunting this year, uh, I way overpacked my pack with water, way more water than I could ever drink, just so I could have some extra weight in there um, on my ankles as you're you know going like up a side hill or um, you know through a ravine or something to you know, help, help start to work on that. But I, I'm worried about my ankles. Um, and other, other than that, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that, you know, the stairs are more vertical than most terrain I'll get to. Right. Right. Cause if, you know, if you were talking about, that's like a 30 degree incline, uh, a flight of stairs are right. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah, or I think a, so. Some, yeah. Maybe 30, 20, 30. Um, so when you started this little workout routine, you, you know, you said you started just by walking up in January, walking up a flight of stairs to, to your um, job and then what going out to lunch and then coming back up those same flight of stairs after lunch. Yeah. So usually 32, 32 flights or 32 levels um, in a day. Okay. So it's a, it's a real, it's a real bad day if you leave your phone in your truck or something. And you've given up the elevator, though. You got to go right. back down. <laughs> um, I wonder if. Okay, so so now that you've you've you know you started with no weight, when did you did you start slowly bumping up the weight every morning, or did you you know like on your lunch hour did you work out, or did after um, after work did you do it? When do you put in the big? like workouts because I take it you're going to want to do more than just a you know a 32 floor or 32 uh, flights in a day right there's going to be days where you're going to want to go for like an hour or so right right and I'm I'm starting to get to that point um, where you know doing 50 50 flights with a 30 pound pack is becoming easier but I, I jumped straight from no weight in the pack, just walking up the stairs to 30 pounds as the, as the lowest amount. Um, and next, uh, basically, basically I just took my backpack in a, a, a bag of sand and I poured uh, 30 pounds into a different sack and duct taped it and made a little, like a pill that I can put in the backpack that I know is 30 pounds. Exactly. I have another one that's right. 20 or sorry, another one that, yeah, another one that's 20, another one that's 15. And I'll just add those into the backpack as I start to get more leg strength and, um, you know, doing 50, 50 levels of floor, uh, of stairs only takes, I'll say 20 minutes. So that's, right. um, that's not really enough time to build up any kind of tolerance. I need to do, I need to do more, um, just at this point at, at once I've done 50, I'm pretty, I'm pretty toast. So what's your, what's your goal then? All right. So you're doing 50 now. What, um, 
is your plan or is your plan to do 100 200 or i mean bump up the weight and do the same amount of flights or um kind of talk me about talk to me about what your goal is um for you know staggering up to you know so when you get ready to leave to go out west you're at your peak well i've been trying to understand you know how heavy my pack will be if, if i am successful and um, you know, shoot an elk and I'm packing out a quarter. My understanding is uh, a bull's quarter is going to be like 65 to 80 pounds with a bone in it. So uh, I'd like to get into that range. Um, not not to say that, you know, I wouldn't shoot a smaller animal like a cow, um, but I, I, I definitely would. But I feel like I need to prepare for, for potentially the worst um, pack out scenario. Uh, so um, 65 to 80 pounds in the pack um, is, is my goal, but it's not something I want to do all the time. I, I think that'd be pretty hard on your body to do that five right. times a week. Um, right. So um, now that I've added weight to the, to the situation, um, I'm not doing the weight every day. Um, I'm doing it maybe three times a week. And the other day is just walking up to my, to my office. Um, yeah. And I don't have a set number of, you know, levels in mind. Um, but the way I figure it is uh, it's only 300 feet or so up to the top. Um, and in the mountains, if you're going a mile or two, you're going to go, much more than 300 feet. Um, right. and that would just be, you know, one way if you're yeah. needing to go, you know, one, um, you know, one range over or something that could be two or three miles. And, uh, right. um, so I, I feel like I'm a long way off. I don't know what the end goal should be. Um, I think that's probably going to be part of the, part of the fun is, is figuring out when I get there, how far off I was on my, on my training. Cause I think there's no way you go and, and you're just there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I know that, uh, the second day, um, me and Mark went out there, we, uh, we climbed it, it necessarily, it started off as a gradual slope. It was a long hike and then it got steeper and steeper as we got close, you know, uh, further up into the mountain. And, uh, I think we went up a thousand feet and down 500 and then back up another, like, I want to say another thousand feet to where we were at, uh, that second day to, to chase the elk. Cause they were really, really high from hunting pressure. But by the time I got to the top of that second, um, incline, I thought, I literally thought my body was going to like my mentally, my brain was telling me, you are going to die. You, you are, you don't, you need to just sit down. Like my, my mind was telling me that, right. Cause my body was not used to that at all. And we didn't really have a transition period. We drove all night. We got to the, uh, this town next to it, bought our tags, drove right out into the mountains, put our back on and just hiked straight into the mountains. And, um, that that kicked my butt that second day, um, and it was uh, it was a a mental test as much as it was a physical test. Um, you know, speaking of that, are you doing any type of like a secondary workout, like hitting a gym or going on runs, or do you have anything like? Are you doing that, or do you have anything like that planned, or? or this is kind of crazy, but any type of mental exercises that you've been researching or anything like that? Uh, well, outside of this, you know, working work on the stairs, um, my, my wife is training for a half marathon. And uh, so on occasion, like maybe once a week or so, I'll go run four or six miles with her, um, which is, you know, it's a, it's a pretty decent little uh, side workout um, to yeah. run four or six miles. But, Honestly, I, I just despise running. If I could, if I could yeah. not run the rest of my life, I would, I would totally go that <laughs> route. Um, you know, other than, you know, working on the stairs, um, there's, um, uh, wildlife refuge in Oklahoma that has uh, buffalo and elk in it. And it's only an hour and a half from my house. So on the weekend, sometimes we'll go there. Um, and there's one hike that's a mile and it goes up 550 feet. Uh, of course, you don't have yeah. the altitude. Um, it, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, but I'll throw my pack on and we'll go hike up that, maybe do that once or twice, um, for some kind of more realistic training. Um, 
I've actually kind of got a pretty active year planned. Uh, my wife and I are going to uh, Iceland in June. Um, oh, nice. Pretty much the whole trip is, is hiking related. Um, so we're going to do a lot of hiking there, and I expect that will be a lot of you know going up and down. Um, so I'm hopeful that will help. And then, um, you know, I – I'm really, I'm planning on in July, um, doing a scouting trip in Colorado and trying to go to the areas where I, where I plan to hunt and also, you know, test my gear, make sure that I have, um, you know, all the essentials that I think that I, I need and try to get, you know, an idea of the area before I get there. So I'm not completely blind. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that'll be a good test to where I am physically and I'll have, you know, basically a month, a month and a half after that point to, you know, try to get to whatever next level I need to get to. Right. Um, you know, also a lot of amazing fishing in Colorado. So, um, if I get a, if I get a chance between, uh, you know, looking for elk and scouting, if there's a stream stream nearby, that could be a good time. Right. Right. For sure. And that's one thing that I didn't get the opportunity to do, but might actually get the opportunity to do this year. And that is to make a summer trip out there with my wife or even the entire family and, uh, go hike in the mountains for a day, uh, leave the, see my wife's pregnant. So she won't be doing anything crazy. And then my kids. So I might leave the wife and the kids in the vehicle or at, you know, in town. And then I'll, I'll go up into the mountains and do a hike just to, if anything, to get that feeling again of the, the altitude sucking the, life out of you basically and the uh you know and the burn and some of the muscles that happens when you know you are doing a lot of physical activity in those high altitudes so um i think i think that's a good thing um that if that i would also that i would recommend is if you if you can get the opportunity to do a summer uh summer scouting trip to do that but um you know i know there's a lot of guys and a lot of people who are smarter than us that are out there and there's a ton of information uh just you know google first timer elk trip what do i need or you know whatever all that stuff's already out there it's good to just kind of talk through it with another another guy but you mentioned testing out gear um Mm -hmm. where did you start as far as okay i'm going on an elk hunt what do i need where did you start I started the most important part from everything I've read, which is boots. Um, yeah. So I, I went ahead and I got some boots in uh, February, and I've been I've been wearing them. I wear them uh, when I do the stairs when it's not like before or or during work because um, they look a little silly. Um, but yeah, I started with boots. I have a, quite a bit of of kind of backcountry camping type gear, um, and that's uh, kind of aided me in not needing to hopefully purchase too too much stuff. Um, you know, I've got some rain gear, I've got, uh, a nice tent, I've got a sleeping bag, I've got a lot, a lot of that stuff. So, um, you know, boots were, were something I was really wanting to, um, you know, find a pair that was going to be good for me for, for several years. Um, and that's, that's where I started. Um, I probably haven't done enough research on the, on the rest of it to really speak all that, uh, knowledgeably about it, but. Um, I got a pair of Solomon 3D GTX boots. They're, they're uh, backcountry hiking boots uh, for backpacking yeah. trips. They're not hunting boots necessarily, but um, I read a, a lot of hunters say good things about about them. And uh, they're lightweight. They're they're fairly stiff. Uh, they feel really good with a with a pack on. So nice. So so boots, obviously. Um, and you said you have a lot of the backpack type. Uh, type equipment already but as far this is going to be a bow hunt right correct okay so from your from your archery setup are you going to be making any type of changes and i'll just provide an example real quick when i decided to go to idaho um idaho does not allow mechanical broadheads so i had to transition my broadheads um to a fixed blade and with that I also beefed up my arrow to uh, some full metal jackets from Easton. So like a, a, a heavier arrow that's going to drive more kinetic energy. Um, have, have you made any or are you planning on making any archery changes to your setup? Um, the biggest change I'm considering um, is, is on the broadhead side. Um, I 
for whitetails, I already shoot a, over a 500 grain arrow. So I, I feel like I have a pretty, um, pretty heavy arrow setup um, out of the gate. Um, that What's should your work, current setup? Work well. um, I have Bloodsport. I think they're called HT ones. Um, there's a company called Harvest. I think they were called Harvest uh, Harvest Time, um, and okay. they switched over to uh, a company called Bloodsport. Um, and uh, it's it's a really solid arrow. It has a um, an outsert um, on the front. It's really strong. I've never had an issue with any of them ever, you know, breaking shooting into targets or anything like that. Um, and just blazer veins. And I think they're ten point two grains per inch. Gotcha. And what was your broadhead? The broadhead that I shoot for whitetails is a broadhead designed by Randy Ulmer. Um, it's called okay. the Ulmer Edge. Okay. Um, and they're discon- they're just dis- they're discontinued actually. Um, but I, when they, when they were discontinued, um, I ended up buying like 24 of them. Uh, so I have a lot. Um, it is a mechanical broadhead inch and a half cut. Um, and I'm not really sure if that's what I, what I want to go with or not. I've, you know, got a lot of recommendations from people that said, um, I should, I should just go with the fixed head and, and forget about it. Um, and I've been considering, um, a broadhead called a shuttle T. Yep. which is made by Trophy Taker at yep. the same company that, that made um, the Ulmer Edge Broadhead. Um, it's a, I think it's an inch and a quarter uh, three-blade cut. It kind of looks like a, like a, it's called a shuttle tee because it looks like a, like a space shuttle space that shuttle, would be taken yeah. off. Um, just a really simple broadhead, uh, but I, I haven't made that transition yet. Um, but it's something I, I'm considering. What uh, what broadhead did you go, go with when you went to Idaho? Let's see. So I started... Yeah, when I, I I looked at a whole bunch of them, right, and it came down to uh, me using a uh, gosh, what was it? Uh, slick trick. I I decided to go with a slick trick because it had four blades and then a smaller type. Uh, you know, it's a smaller diameter, but it's got the four four blades. Um, this this year, I'm probably gonna be looking for something different maybe just a little bit bigger of a cutting diameter and probably still doing um you know still doing the uh four blade so it's something heavy duty like uh maybe like a wasp i think god i don't even know what the name of that their four blade is right now boss some boss i think it's called the boss but i've been looking at wasp um so i'm that's one option uh uh, the the boss four, four blade I think it's called, um, but you know like I said there's tons of different broadheads out there that are fixed blade uh, something durable something heavy duty uh, I don't you know I don't think I'm I see myself in any especially going out west I don't see myself going into going back to mechanicals just because of the horror stories I hear from people saying, oh, my blade didn't open or the blade broke or, you know, I've never had a mechanical fail on me that I know of. And I, it's almost like more moving parts, more problems. So why take that risk? So I don't know. That's just, that. that's my out loud thought process. What about you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a debate that a lot of people make. Um, I'm certainly of the opinion that, you know, you put it in the right spot and, and a lot of different heads, um, Will work, but I, I like you and like a lot of bow hunters out there um, care most about getting a pass through. Um, right. So, um, get a pass through. Um, I've never had a problem, you know, getting a pass through with my current setup on on whitetails. But um, you know, elk's a, a completely different different world. Um, a lot more to go through, uh, bigger and stronger bones. Um, so I think I'm likely to go with a with a fixed head. I just haven't I haven't made the leap to purchase them and um, tune them in or or anything to that nature. Um, right. I have some um, that I bought. I, I this last year was working with my niece to get her ready to whitetail hunt. She's uh, nine years old, and she was going to use uh, crossbow, um, which is legal in Oklahoma. And I bought some. Uh, I think they're called Montex by G5. It's oh, yeah. a very simple two blade. I think it's a two blade with two small little bleeder blades on the side. Yeah. Uh, fixed broadhead for for her setup. I wanted to make sure that if she you know, had a miscue and hit him in the shoulder or something that she had as much chance to, to go through the shoulder as possible. Um, and so I, I have those just, you know, sitting around. She never ended up shooting one. I could, I could use those. I've heard good things about them. Um, 
you have any experience with with that redhead? No, not with not with that one. I've never used that one. But kind of going back to it, I, I've I've used quite a f- few broadheads over my entire year or over the years of bow hunting. And I'm trying. I was thinking back to like one of the very first broadheads that I used, and it was a mechanical. Or it wasn't the very first, but it was when I got my very first mechanical was a jack, a wasp jackhammer. And I killed so many deer with that broadhead. And then, you know, it's kind of dumb because then I got into um, filming and then I got in. I, I sound like a douchebag every time I say this, but the quote unquote industry. But then, you know, you get exposed to more. Um, you know, more companies and more people are telling you to, you know, try this, shoot this, do this. So then I started jumping around all the time when if I didn't, I probably wouldn't have ever changed just because it worked so well for me. But, you know, but then you hear the, you know, now I start to hear those horror stories about mechanicals and whatnot. So, um, I think, I think I'm just going to be a fixed blade guy for, for a while, especially if I'm going West, but are you going to be shooting the same arrow you think? I'm planning on shooting the same arrow. I have I have quite a few of them, and I think they have a good a good weight. Um, yeah, I have, my bow is not a real fast shooting bow. I don't I don't have a new bow. Um, so what do you um, got? It, it's a Hoyt Maxis 35. Okay, gotcha. uh, it's I think I bought it in 2010. Um, what do you pull? So it's 70 pounds. 70 pounds. Okay. So yeah, that I mean it's gonna. I don't know. I, we, we've been killing animals with, you know, 200 feet per second, uh, for a long time. And now it's up to over 300 feet per second. And, you know, even some cases, 400 feet per second. Uh, and if you're having pass throughs at 200 feet per second, you're, you're going to do just fine with older, you know, older, how old is that bow? Uh, I guess it'd be seven years old if I bought it in 2010. Okay. So, it's, I mean, if you want to consider that older equipment or not, I mean, it's going to do, it's going to do just fine. And like you said, if it's one of those, if you put the arrow where it's supposed to go, an animal's going to die. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The bow has been one of those things where I've had, you know, good results, it's a very shootable bow and, you know, why spend 800 or a thousand dollars on a, on a new bow? I'd love to have one, but that's 800 or a thousand dollars I could spend on, you know, potentially, I think it would a uh, a combination tag in Colorado is for for over the counter is like five sixty I think for for an elk so that's that's money I'm going to put towards an experience as opposed to you know more equipment um, right so right for sure yeah because you start you start uh, adding up the gas and the the tag and you know if you kill something you got the processing and I don't know about Colorado but I'm I'm pretty sure you can, is is uh, think i'm trying to think if colorado will even let you take unprocessed meat out of the state into it's not necessarily it can't leave the state but certain states won't let you bring it in to the state unless it's already been processed and frozen so um is i don't know if oklahoma is like that or not i don't either uh, the people that i know um, bring it back and have it done to processor here but i I haven't looked to see if they did that legally or not. Um, so. <laughs> I, know, I, I don't think you can do it in a state like Michigan. I remember Mark saying something about that or even uh, driving it through Nebraska or Kansas without without having it, you know, all the meat out of the skull and everything. No, no bone, I guess, like no bone on the meat it could it might be a bone in or like if all the meat's off the bone it'd be good to go but uh yeah i'm not that's definitely something people should look at if they if they're transporting meat um so to my knowledge there's been no cases reported of uh, cwd in oklahoma um right. there's i think there's been some ehd in the in the northeastern part of the state but yeah um I, I feel like we would probably have pretty lax rules on we're pretty lax rules uh, and liberal hunting rules across the board here. Right. Right. All right. So let's see here. Any other gear that you're looking at or thinking about picking up, um, you know, that the, would be the, extra. 
the, I have two items on my on my list that are kind of more expensive items that I'm I'm hoping to get maybe more of a long term type purchase out of, and those yeah. are uh, a pack and GPS. Oh, um, two things right. I I I don't have, um, and I, I mean I have packs, but they're not they're not fit to you know carry a, a eighty pound quarter um, out right. of the woods. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I have. I, I got a big whitetail pack. I got the TZ 3000, the Tenzing 3000 or 4000. And I don't, it, I think it would be able to take a quarter of an average size elk um, and fit it into that meat, meat pack, uh, meat compartment that it has. But uh, if I didn't have that, I definitely would have had to get a, an, another pack. Now, are you going to be doing a, a backcountry hunt where you're going to be having to pack in everything that uh, you need? Yes. Okay. All right. So you're going to need to pack in all your uh, um, all your gear as well. Do you have an idea of what uh, brands you're looking at already? Oh, I've been looking at a lot of different brands. Um, I have some uh, Kuyu gear that I use for for whitetail, and I've been considering their their packs um they're a little spendy um apologize that's the doorbell i uh i've been looking at i think it's called uh, kefaru um kefaru packs um are another one that i'm potentially interested in um yeah i mean there's there's so many brands out there it's just kind of a it's it's clear as mud you know what direction (laughs) you should go in when you're getting a pack and um i i you know i'd like to get something that i'm going to like long term and it's going to work for you know, not only elk, but if I were to, you know, do another another species, can kind of cross over and be good for that as well. Um, I also one thing I like potentially about the Kuyu pack is it looks a little um, like it would potentially be better for using as a day pack. Yeah. Um, so uh, I feel like that's potentially a side benefit to that one. It has a carbon fiber uh, internal frame as opposed to some of the other packs I've looked I've looked at have a external frame or metal frame Um, it just looks like it would potentially be a little smaller right right well i feel like we need to have probably a follow-up um a follow-up podcast like a part two of this sometime in oh let's say july or august Right before we both start heading out there, I want to follow up about um, how your conditioning is doing. I want to follow up about the gear that you've uh, decided to go with, and uh, and I can tell you how. Like right now, I'm fat and out of shape, uh, and I need to straight up get my butt in gear and start, you know, dropping some pounds. Because as we all know, every pound that you are carrying on your body, you're also carrying up the giant hill. So. I need to change my diet too, basically. But I feel we need to have a part two to this conversation, a follow-up podcast. You down for that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, hey, Grant, I want to say thank you very much for taking time to uh, come on the podcast today, man. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. All righty. That brings this week of podcast to a close. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the content that I'm putting out. I really appreciate uh, you guys all tuning in and uh, taking time to listen to this podcast. I'm much appreciated. Huge shout out to Grant for taking time uh, out of his day to come on the podcast. And again, huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Ripcord, Deer Lab, Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to go and visit um, those their websites, learn more about the products, and uh, see if they are right for you. Other than that, guys, please go to iTunes, leave a review about this podcast. I'd love uh, to get some more reviews. Um, unless you're going to give me maybe like a one-star review where you say this is the worst possible website or uh, worst possible podcast that is currently out there. I learn absolutely nothing from this podcast. It has no value and I strongly dislike the host. That that right there, I don't I would rather not have you put that and then give me a one-star. That would not be cool. <laughs> would be cool. Like a five-star review would be really cool one that says hey this podcast is probably the best podcast that is on the internet period 
it's like better than all of them. Uh, the host is really cool. He's really intelligent. Um, although I've never seen his face, he's probably very handsome and, and muscular, um, you know, and he's smart and he probably got good grades in school and he's really good at hunting. You know, all, you know, that would be something that you probably would want to put and then give five stars to. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, enough bullshit. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Make sure you guys are following me on uh, social media. Again, uh, go leave a review on iTunes. And I hope everybody out there has the most fantastic weekend that they've ever had in their entire life. And if you do get up in a tree, remember to wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.